Uh, let's go to God in prayer before we open up our text this morning. Uh, our Father and our God, we are so thankful to you today for uh, your presence among us, for your provision and for your care, and for the many and numerous ways your Spirit works and weaves his way into our lives. Uh, there are many ways in which you work that we are just simply unaware. And I pray for wisdom. Uh, I pray for wisdom and discernment to be able to see those moments where your spirit is working and moving, that we would be able to recognize you when you are present. Not only that we will recognize them when they occur, but we will actively seek out the ways in which you have woven your provision into our lives. As we leave this place, I pray that we are emboldened to profess the good news of your Son and our Savior, in whom we have hope, in whom we have peace, and in whom, in whom we have the good life. I pray for these next moments as we are together, as we open up your word. I pray that your spirit would move within us, that we would be willing and, and ready to receive the way your spirit would work. That our minds would be clear, our hearts would be available, our eyes would be open. And that we would simply have a soft presence before you as you mold us and shape us more and more into your image. We are yours and we long to be more and more like you. We thank you for the unity we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, wrapping up our series this morning on the good life. Uh, as we look at, at what it means to live the life in Christ. Right? We're living in a, in a culture and a time where so many people are, are seeking the good way of life. And, and everyone has a different definition of what it means to have a good life. Uh, we've got to understand what Scripture teaches us about the good life in order to view the world and ourselves in it accurately. Right? It's hard for us frequently to understand how we fit, not only in God's plan, but, but in the world in general. There are moments where we think we are less than we actually are. There are moments we think we are more than we actually are. We aren't very good at objectively and truthfully assessing our own value, our own worth, and our own presence in the world in which we live. Um, if you know anything about me and have heard any of my stories, you'll know that um, I used to be a long, lanky uh, dude, 165 pounds soaking wet when we got married. I'm not 165 pounds anymore, but at 165 pounds, I could run like the wind. Slow wind, but it was a wind nonetheless, okay? It was a gentle breeze. Um, my track coach regularly took me to places so that I could realize I was not nearly as fast as I thought I was. But all, it's all about how we understand who we are in context. I was the fastest runner in our district, by far. My, my sister used to laugh. She goes, Josh, we go to track meets, and it is hilarious to watch. Because you're out there running, and I had, you know, long legs, lanky, you know, and track shorts aren't very long, especially not back in the 90s. So, you know, you got these big, long legs just trucking around the track, and I'm lapping kids right and left. She said, everybody else on that track looks like they're about to die. And you're lapping at them, looking at them like, and you just got the biggest smile on your face. And I got into high school, and I finally got a track coach, and I hadn't broken five minutes in my mile time. I had been at about 5.30 for, for four or five years, which seemed fast. She didn't think it was very fast. 
She said, you should be sub five. Like I said, that's fast. And when I got to the point where I was still the fastest person in our district and I was winning all of our track meets, um, she would take me to the Texas Relays. And at the Texas Relays, the Texas Relays is the Texas 6A state track meet. My mile time of like 5.15 at the time, which was the fastest in our little district, was getting lapped at the, te at the Texas State Relays. She said, look, you may be fast for where you are, but you've got a long ways to go. You've got work left to do. I remember my junior year. We're at Waco, Texas at the, at the TAPS state track meet. I got a chance to win state. The wind is blowing 35 miles an hour. Right in your face in the home stretch. I'm running the mile, the two mile, and the mile relay. It's at the end of the day. We're getting ready to run the mile. And I'm lined up in the starting blocks. And I'm looking around going, I can beat these guys. I've beaten most of them already. But I still had never broken five minutes. Five minutes, zero seconds, and .19 was the fastest and closest I'd ever gotten to breaking that five-minute barrier. But I took off going, and, and I didn't have a kick, right? So I had to run as fast as I could for the whole race. And I can feel Brandon on my heels, step for step, stride for stride. Only guy out there that could possibly beat me. And so I pick up the pace a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. He's six inches taller than me, and he's running crouched down like this, step for step. And I'm going to tell you, man, that backstretch felt great. Felt like I was on top of the world. And then I came around and I hit that home stretch, coming back towards the start-finish line. And when that 35-mile-an-hour wind hit me in the nose, it was like a parachute opened. I couldn't move. But he wasn't going to beat me this time. We come around for the last lap. The bell rings. Ding, 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 ding. It's the last lap. And I've got him right where I want him. He's not going to catch me. And he moves out to the second lane, pats me on the rear, and says, thanks for the draft. And he was gone. Gone. Like, I, gone. But I still get second in state. And I come around, I hit that brick wall. And I can see the finish line, but it is coming fast enough. And as it is approaching, there goes second place. And there goes third place. And there goes fourth place. And I fall across the finish line in fifth place. And I'm so mad. And my coach is so happy. Because I ran a 458. For me, it was defeat. Because all I saw was, look, I didn't get a trophy for fifth place in 93. In fact, what you got was a, better luck next time. Work harder. Run faster. If you want to get some kind of award. I was not able to really frame anything about what I had done. My coach came over and she said, Josh, 4.58. 4.58. The fastest time you've ever run with a 35-mile-an-hour headwind. We don't have the ability frequently to really assess where we are because all we can see are, are the things that immediately surround us, immediately affect us. We don't see very well the big picture. That those people who are forming and shaping and training us do. We don't see the big picture the way God sees the big picture. There are moments in our lives where we see failure and God sees great success. Because what he sees are the ripple effects of what has just transpired. 
He sees what this failure is going to shape you into into the future. That 458 turned into a 444 the following year. And I've never come close to touching 444 since. But even at 4 minutes and 44 seconds, that is still one of the slowest mile times around in the Texas 6A state track meet. So when I think I am big and mighty and fast, there are people to remind me that there are people who are worse than you and there are people who are better than you. There is still work yet to be done in the midst of all the things that have already transpired. God is able to see those things in our lives and and move us forward in a way that we aren't able to. But the good life is reading through and understanding who God has called us to be. And what it means to have the blessed, happy life that he asks for us. On our Wednesday night class, we talked about some of the most common commands in Scripture. The most common command is do not fear. I did look it up. It does not occur 365 times as the popular Facebook and Instagram meme says, but it does occur 145 times. 145 times God tells his people, do not fear, do not be afraid. Now then, if you take that command and fold it in with some others that run along the same line, such as rejoice, be thankful, We get a little closer to that popular number. But those commands which fold in to be the most common things that God tells his people really demonstrate the point that what Jesus says in the Gospel of John is indeed true. When he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. He says, the thief comes in to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And if you listen to our podcast on Crossways on Thursday night, we talked about the discipline of celebration, right? This is what it is that we are celebrating. Jesus says, I have come that you may have abundant life. Life to the full. Overflowing. In Matthew chapter 5, he, the, Matthew gives us these uh, Beatitudes. I mean, the Beatitudes bring us to this framework from which the blessed life begins, the, the good life that God asks and calls for and expects of his people. Since when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and after he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. For those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward in heaven is great. For that is how they also persecuted the prophets who went before you. God's definition of blessedness 
of the blessed life, of the good life, is really, I said surprisingly, it's not surprising because we see it throughout Scripture. It's upside down in comparison to the world's definition. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Maybe we've got that backwards. I think we do have that backwards. God's view of the good life is not upside down at all. It's right side up. But when you stand something right side up that's been upside down for so long, it, it feels like everything has fallen apart. Right? right? When I've been clinging to the ceiling, living in the upside down, learning that down is up and up is down, when everything seems to be so normal and God comes in and says, let me set you right. We feel disoriented. We feel like everything has been tossed upside down until slowly but surely we see things gently falling into place. Sometimes not so gently falling into place. Sometimes they come crashing into place. Destroying some of the things that we've put into effect in the process. But he says, if you will trust me to live the good life, I will take your upside down life. And while it feels like I'm turning everything topsy-turvy, I'm actually setting you right back into the place where you've been designed to thrive. Not just... Live, not just barely get by, not just survive, but to live the abundant life of Christ. We live in this place of upward mobility that says this is where the blessed life lives, this is where the good life is, in upward mobility, in achieving more, in accomplishing more. And Jesus says, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are gentle, those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Those are the ones who are living the good life. That's because what Jesus wants for us is something more than just happiness. He wants for us something that is completely dependent on him, not on the outward circumstances of life. Blessedness to God refers to this ultimate well-being and a distinctive spiritual joy for those who share in the salvation of God. Like this kind of fulfillment, this kind of peace, this kind of happiness, this kind of joy can only come from understanding who we are when we share in the salvation of God. It's not about how easy we can make life. Look through this list. It's not an easy way to live. It's not about being comfortable. I like being comfortable. There's been times in my life where I've really felt called to go to some places that were really challenging, and, and I can't decide if it is actually God's calling that has kept me where I am or my, simply my desire to be comfortable that has kept me where I am. Because I like the comforts of my home. I like electricity. I like running water. I like having to have hot water on command and cold water on command and an ice maker that doesn't really work but it kind of works. I like ice. I like air conditioning. I like being able to drive places easily, safely, even in Baton Rouge. 
compared to many places in the world, it is safe to drive in Baton Rouge. That's terrifying. The good life in God is not about popularity. It is not about my latest accomplishment or acknowledgement or reward or bonus. And there's awareness that this present material world serves a purpose, but it is far, far, far away from the thing that brings me joy and fulfillment and purpose. But we are flooded, flooded with the messages in popular culture, in our music. We have songs like 24 Karat Magic and Treasure. We have TV shows like Cribs and Flip or Flop. I watch Flip or Flop and I'm thinking, man, my house needs work. Johanna and What's-His-Name would come into my house and say, oh, man, I don't know if this one's worth buying or not. I've seen what they expect a house to look like when it's done. Like they're all over the place. Like, Like this is success. This is fulfillment. This is what you should be striving after. And, you know, actually one of my favorite country songs talks about money. Don't you wish you had a rich uncle who'd kick the bucket and you could be sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett? The line says, I know what they say. Money can't buy everything, but it can buy me a boat. And it can buy me a truck to pull it. I mean... It doesn't get much better than that, right? Who needs happiness when you can have things that money can buy? I'll figure out the happiness later. And and there are these subtle little messages that creep in that even as Christians, when we talk about blessedness, we talk about the blessedness of God in relation to the things that we have. Right? You come to me and you say, Josh, how are you today? And I say, I'm blessed. Why am I blessed? i got a roof over my house. It's cool inside. My family is all intact. Dustin is safe, even though he's in Okinawa. My cars are generally running. At least three-fourths of them are. Well, two and a half. Things are good, and I see that as the blessedness of life. We begin to shape our blessedness based on the things and the physical things that we have. And we are just simply perpetuating the misnomer that blessedness in God comes from the things that we possess. And Jesus says, that is not at all what I'm about. Those things have purpose and those things have value. And you can be happy that you have those things. But don't confuse those things for the blessed good life in God that comes through Christ Jesus. Because the Beatitudes, if they do anything, they invite us to repent of that way and say, look, I know that these physical things are important. I know that they are present and I know that they can be an avenue through which we can accomplish things. But my value comes from who I am in Jesus. Poor in spirit. Even when I mourn. When I am gentle. When I am hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when I am merciful, when my heart is pure, when I am a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker, that where I go, there are things of peace that follow. And even when I may be persecuted for the cause of righteousness. 
The Beatitudes are a call to a complete and radical life change. But that personal life change only can be initiated when we are willing to have a personal heart change. Like Not only Jesus' original audience, but all audiences who would read and listen and hear what Jesus had to say following have needed to reorient priorities and focus on the coming kingdom, not on the things that are going on in the world in which we live. To alter our definition of what it means to have the good life, to be free from the deceitfulness of materialism. That it's only when we understand what Jesus is saying in his revelation of a truly good life that we can be free to really and truly rejoice and celebrate God's purposes for me in this life. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? What will it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? The right-side-up kingdom of God is indeed the exact opposite of the world and the culture in which we live. With some surprising requirements in how to engage that life. But the kingdom of God calls us to give away our life in order to gain it. To sacrifice in order to receive more. To give away our time, money, and our talents in order to maximize their use. And while that does not make sense always to you or to me, or to the people who are around us. It is the way of the cross. It is the way of the Christian. And it is the way of those who are called to live according to the good life in Christ. It's uncomfortable getting there. Sometimes Jody will have spent some time in her room. Her favorite thing to do in her room is to clean her room outside of watching Netflix or something. Jody cleaning her room is not a comfortable experience for most of the people in her house because it turns into an exploded mattress factory before it gets better, right? I mean, there stuff comes out of the closet, it comes off of hangers, it comes out of drawers, and it just gets scattered everywhere. But when it's done, mm, man, does it feel good when it's done. The closet's clean. The drawers are clean. The things I don't need anymore are, are moved out. The things that I like are moved up where you can find them. And everything is in order. But man, the process is rough. Sometimes learning about the good life in Christ is rough because it takes all that stuff that we don't want and it just scatters it out. It says, now look at it and decide what you want to keep and decide what needs to go. It's not easy getting there. But when we take refuge in the good life in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in a place of peace and fulfillment that we can find in no other place but in Him. Maybe you need to take your place in Him today. Maybe you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and not only that, to take your place in the good life in Jesus Christ. 
Maybe the church can be of aid to you in another way this morning. If you're watching online, you can respond through email. You can send me a text. You can call the the office here and leave a message. Um, Or you can respond through our website or through Facebook. If you're here with us this morning, you can come down here and we'll pray for you. You can meet me in the back and I'll pray for you there. If you want to be baptized, we're ready for that as well.